0: you can kind of buckle up and turn to the gospel according to matthew if you want to just kind of hang out in chapter 8 for a second i'll be there Um, but one of the things you got to know is uh, the holy spirit inspired obviously matthew to write this gospel and his main point in writing this gospel is to present jesus christ as the messiah So every word that is spoken, every story that is recorded is to show Jesus is the Son of God, he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, he is the promised one, he is the revealed king. And so everything he says is to that end, starting in verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ is to show that he is the king in the line of David. To prove to everyone that might ever wonder, who might ever look at the Old Testament prophecies, Jesus has the right to rule. He's the one who has always been promised to rule. So from his genealogy, to every word he speaks, to every messianic miracle he performs, that is the end. He is trying to show Jesus is the Messiah. He is trying to prove that Jesus is the Son of God the king of kings, the one who will bring in the kingdom of God. And his case is really pretty airtight. If you kind of scan through the gospel according to Matthew and all the gospels, they're making this case. Jesus is who he says he is. From his words, we read things like this. The crowds were astonished at his teachings for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. They said, never has a man spoke like this. To his works, blind man said to those who doubted this is an amazing thing that you don't know where this man comes from and yet he opened my eyes if he were not from God how could he do this his his wisdom they confronted him with a coin and they said Jesus should we pay taxes to Caesar and he said whose face is on that coin well then render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and render unto God that which is God's and when he said those things they marveled his his purity He said to them, which of you can convict me of sin? They were dead silent. And then Jesus says, then why don't you believe me? His power, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? His provision, he fed them all and said, you seek me because you ate the loaves and were filled. His healings, he healed everyone everywhere he went. Even his dominance over the darkness and the demons, they said it's never been seen in all of Israel. His judgments, he cursed the fig tree and it died. His composure was beyond human. He was silent before Pilate, who had the power over his life. He had no fear, he gave no defense of himself. And when you just kind of scan the life and works of Jesus Christ, you see everything about him was astounding. But it wasn't just astounding for astounding sake. It was a purpose. Every word, every work, every miracle was to show. This is not just a miracle worker. This is the Messiah who will bring in the kingdom of God. It was humanly inexplicable, superhuman, supernatural, divine. All the healings, all the miracles, all the words, they saw it all they saw all the miracles they heard the sermons they heard the wisdom they heard it with their ears with their eyes they saw it they heard it all i mean we're talking about countless miracles countless words of wisdom they had never heard before and all the people who saw the miracles all the people who heard the words there was three separate responses to jesus christ After he shows up on the scene, he begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to heal the multitudes. He begins to do all the things that we know he sees in the Gospels. And there's three different responses to this man. The first response is the furious. The second response was the the fans. And then there was some who actually were followers we'll see all three this morning and my prayer is God will show us where we land the first group was the furious now you might like me find yourself from time to time examining the new testament examining the words and works of Jesus Christ and thinking to yourself as you walk through the text how in the world Could these people be exposed to such an infinite number of convincing evidences that Jesus is the Messiah and not believe and follow? Like, how could you see all sickness, all disease banished from Palestine within the three years of his ministry and not believe and follow? Like, how could your response to this man be anything else but believe and follow when you see with your eyes and you hear with your ears everything that they saw? I mean, he, he met every messianic credential. He, he spoke with authority on every aspect of life. He started in the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. He speaks on the nature of salvation, on the nature of sin, on the nature of religion, on how we are to handle money, how we are to handle our relationships, what our relationship to the. He speaks on every aspect of life. If you examine the Sermon on the Mount, every single aspect of our life, he speaks with authority on they see it they hear it and yet some respond with rejection some respond with fury like for instance in matthew chapter 8 verse 34 jesus just handled uh, two demon possessed men that no one could handle matter of fact no one could go near them jesus shows up immediately casts out the demons and here's their response to to this it said and behold all the city came out to meet jesus and when they saw him they begged him to leave their region like in where my mind goes is like you just saw the son of god the messiah do something that nobody was able to do and your response is please get out of here or or even in, in chapter 9 verse 3 jesus forgives sins like he heals the paralytic man and then he forgives his sins and some people's response is oh this guy he's a he's a sinner he's a he's a blasphemer he's an enemy of God like to me I'm thinking like how how is this possible that you see the miracles that nobody else could perform, nobody else has performed. They line up with all the messianic credentials. You hear his words. He speaks like no one has ever spoke, and you respond with fury and rejection. But Jesus tells us why people respond this way. He says in John chapter 3, because they love their lives the way they are. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Why? Why do they love the darkness rather than the light? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. So the Bible tells us that some people don't come to Jesus. Some people don't uh, respect and worship and believe and follow Christ because they know their lives will be exposed. They like their lives the way they are. They like the sin that they're living in. And Jesus shows up in his holiness and speaks into that and they say, no way. No way they reject it, they fall away, they they run away, they know they'll be exposed. It's like if you pick up a rock in the woods and all the insects that were exposed to the light go scurrying to find darkness again. That's what Christ says will happen when the truth goes forth. They love their sin, they love their lives, so they ignore the words of Jesus. They ignore the feeling in their heart, they defy the evidences, they cling to evil, and they run the other way. Some people I have found in decades of ministry, some people, no matter the logic you speak with, no matter the miracles they've seen, the changed lives, the testimonies, the evidences, the reasoning, some people just run from Christ. Despite what they've seen, despite people's lives completely changed, despite the logic and reasoning of the word of God, They reject with fury the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says they love their sin. Jesus says man's rejection of the gospel is not intellectual, but it's moral. That's an important point. It's not that man can't understand the gospel. It's not that man in their heart does not know that they are sinners. They need a savior and they're separated from God. It's not that man cannot understand it. It is that they love their lives. They love the sin. They love the lives that they have created. They love the comfort. And so that when truth goes forth, when the gospel goes forth, they reject because they love their lives. Rejection of the gospel is not intellectual. It's moral. Don't talk to me about Jesus Christ with all of his rules and all of his regulations. Don't talk to me about the authority of the word of God and its power over my life and what I have to do. It's not they don't understand it. morally they don't want to change i don't need jesus christ i'm a i'm pretty good person already christians are so judgmental you've probably heard that one people are furious because they love their own lives so they run the other way despite the obvious reality that they need forgiveness of sins they need a savior that jesus is the one who can do it and so we scan the Gospels and we see the first group responds to Jesus Christ with complete rejection, despite what they've seen. I mean, like, like despite the miracles, despite the teaching, despite the feeling in their heart, despite their need for forgiveness, they respond with rejection because they love their lives the way they are. But there's a second group, and this is an even more dangerous group, and the second kind of people that respond to Jesus Christ are the fans. I call them the fans of Jesus Christ because they like Jesus. They're attracted to him. They even like gatherings like this because they want to belong. They hear the charisma of Christ's words. They see the power that has been performed even in the word of God or among us. They're attracted to that. They're attracted to maybe the singing, maybe the togetherness. They're attracted to the wisdom of the word of God. They're attracted to the idea of Christianity. They're attracted to Christ. They want to get in on that action. They want to belong, so they show up. So they linger around. They know all the Christianese language. They know all the words to say, I'm a Christian. They say, I follow Jesus Christ But the Bible says this this group of people is just as lost as the first group. They've always been there. They were always around Jesus and they're still around us today. We'll meet three of them in the text, Matthew chapter eight, starting in verse 19. It goes like this. And a scribe came up to Jesus and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like what you would want to hear from someone coming to Jesus Christ. I'll follow you wherever you go. If somebody came in here today and and came up to me and said, I will follow Jesus wherever we go, I'd be so eager to lead him through faith and repentance and walking with Jesus Christ. We read this text, and someone comes to Jesus and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. It's really, really amazing especially when we find out he's a scribe, because scribes are not followers. They're the leaders. And I'm sure this guy is thinking, this is the most amazing person that's ever walked the face of the earth. He's been around. He has seen Jesus. Everybody had seen it. I mean, disease was banished in all of Palestine during Jesus's ministry. Imagine that. Imagine an area like Tyrone imagine this area and you knew no one with sickness or disease and when someone asked you how could that be the only answer is Jesus of Nazareth and then you went to seek out this man and you heard the wisdom and you heard the authority this guy's thinking I gotta I gotta follow this guy he's the most amazing teacher I've ever heard I've seen the miracles I want to be with this guy and when someone says I'll follow you wherever you go We're so eager to say yes and amen. Come on in. But we see in the text, Jesus wasn't so eager. Verse 20, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now this is a a proverb, and it's speaking of the basic comforts of life. That's what it means. The Son of Man has no comforts in his life. The comforts, the basic comforts that you and I and this scribe follow every single day, Jesus says, I I, I don't even have the basic comforts of life. The basic comforts that animals have, I don't have. We know this. John chapter 7 says, every man went to his home and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus didn't have a home. He spent nights sleeping on the ground, praying to his Father in heaven. Jesus' point is, I have no personal comforts. I don't have a bed I don't have a house. I don't have luxuries. Jesus says, I have nothing of personal comfort to offer you. Now, why did Jesus bring this up? Is he trying to say we're not allowed to have personal comforts? No, he's he's all right with our houses. But Jesus could read this man's heart. He knew what this guy's hang-up was. This guy was a scribe. And in his mind, he's thinking, man, I already have a rich and full and prosperous life. I have all that I want. I have the lifestyle that satisfies me. And now I could add Jesus to my comfortable life. Now I can can say I'm a follower of Jesus along with all the other accolades and comforts that I have. He's saying, I want to drag all of my past life on and follow you. Well, the Bible says Jesus didn't have to be told what was in the heart of men. He knew what was in the heart of man. He knew this man had fickle faith, shallow faith, superficial faith. And Jesus says, I don't even have the basic comforts of life. And if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing, that's the key word, to give all of that up to follow me. You have to be willing to understand if you follow me, I may call you to give up all your basic comforts of life. Jesus says he's like the seed that landed on stony ground. Seed lands and bam, it shoots up. And he's telling everyone, I'm a follower. He's telling everyone, I love Jesus. He's telling everyone, I met someone. But the minute the comforts of life begin to be taken away, this man is nowhere to be found. Why? Well, he didn't understand the basic rule of discipleship in the gospel deny yourself sacrifice of self Jesus says I want you to know this won't be a comfortable life if you follow me it won't be what you're used to you know what the next verse says about this guy nothing because he's gone he's gone he couldn't handle those words Jesus nailed him right where he was. Jesus said, when you follow me, there is a sacrifice, there is a price to pay, and this guy wasn't willing to pay it. He wanted to add Jesus to his already full life. How unlike is Jesus than us? Man, we're so quick to sugarcoat the gospel and make it as easy as possible. (laughs) We're so quick to tell everyone how easy it is to follow Jesus Christ. How much better it's going to make your life. We try to make it as easy as possible. He makes it so hard that unless you have real commitment, you can't make it. We do a great disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ if we lead people to believe that Christianity is the easy way. Christ never says it will be easy. He says, take up your cross. But personal comfort keeps fans from becoming followers. There's another guy in the text Look at verse 21, not just personal comforts, but personal possessions. Another disciple said to him, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go bury my father. Now you read that in first glance and you think to yourself, that's a pretty reasonable request, right? Like that's a pretty reasonable request I want to follow you I've I've seen I I understand you are who you say you are I just gotta my my father passed away and I I gotta I gotta follow you know Jews didn't embalm people so when someone died you had to get at it pretty pretty quick the law even says you must take care of your parents sounds like a reasonable request I can't follow you now Jesus but, but I'll catch up to you catch up to you later But as always with Jesus, there's more going on here than meets the eye. That phrase, let me bury my father, it is a colloquial phrase. It basically means even to this day in the East, my father's not dead, but I must stick around and fulfill my responsibility until he dies so that I can receive my inheritance. So I have missionary friends that are in the Middle East. And when they say, I have to bury my father, when, you, when they hear that phrase, it means he, he's not even dead yet. But you got to stick around so that you can get the money. you got to stick around and take care of him so you can get the inheritance. So when this man says to Jesus, let me go bury my father, he's saying, let me go bury my father who isn't even dead yet. He's saying, I've been waiting a long time for this inheritance. Man, I've been faithful for a long time. I just need to hang on a little bit longer until I finally get what I've been waiting for. You know what this guy had on his mind? Possessions. He had money. He had monetary wealth on his mind. Jesus knew it. Look what Jesus says in verse 22. Jesus said to him, follow me, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now you read that again and you're like, well, how can dead people bury dead people, right? Well, they can't unless the first kind are spiritually dead. Jesus is saying, let the spiritually dead bury their physical dead. He's talking about the world system, the secular system. He says, let them take care of that. That's not our priority. Monetary wealth, comfort, all of that stuff that holds you back from the kingdom of God, let them take care of that. You've been called, Luke says, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you see the difference, Jesus is saying. You're not functioning on the right level. That's what he's calling followers to do. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you have to function on the level of the kingdom of God. You're worried about the wrong things. He's he's saying you're worried about the wrong structure. He's not saying we shouldn't have funerals as Christians. This is a proverb. He's talking about the world's passing affairs. The things of this world that will one day pass away and mean nothing to us that we cannot take with us. This man is more concerned about things that are passing away than he is that things that are eternal. And Jesus says, you're operating on the wrong system. You see, Jesus read his heart again and he knows this man's priorities are fouled up. Secular matters are more important than eternal matters to him. And Jesus says, let the system of the world take care of itself. Again, what What does it say this man does after he hears Jesus' words? It it doesn't say. That's because he left. That's because he's not around anymore. Why? Because personal possessions got in the way. This guy waited a long time for that money. This guy waited a long time for those possessions. He wasn't about to bail out now. Sure, he saw Jesus and he liked it. He was attracted to it. He knew Jesus had something that he needed. And I'm sure he was amazed, but in the end, his love of money, his love of possessions was greater than his love of God. And Jesus always knows what's in the way. If you ever ask yourself in the gospels, when Jesus says one thing or another, it's because he always knows what's in the heart of man. He always knows what's in the way. So I'm sure both of these first two men that aren't following Jesus, I'm sure they went away sad. I'm sure they went away that they couldn't get into the kingdom of God on Jesus' terms, because they loved comfort and they loved money more than they loved Jesus. You know, there's a lot of us that could fall into this trap. There's a lot of people today like that. Personal comfort and personal possessions keep them from accepting the terms of the kingdom of God. Maybe they're interested, maybe they're attracted, maybe they're even astounded, but they're lost because the price is too high to pay. There's a third guy that Matthew doesn't tell us about, but Luke does in the synoptic gospel here. Luke chapter 9 verse 61 it says, yet there's another man who said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those who are at home again this sounds harmless right because my my kids and and my wife I want to go say bye to them that's not what's going on here this is actually an ancient proverb and it means simply he's talking about mommy and daddy look at verse 62 Jesus says no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God pretty clear you can't plow going backwards right anybody disagree with that that's a tough thing to do but what Jesus knew about him was what we don't automatically know. And it's not talking about his wife or his kids. He's talking about his mom and his dad. He's talking about the family pressure and intimidation that still exists today from those who want to follow Jesus Christ, but their families don't. He's talking about the fear of being ostracized. He's talking about the fear that, 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 that scares people, the emotional pleas For his parents would say, no, 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 you're going to disgrace the family. What are you doing? That's not it. And then he would never come back and follow Jesus. There's a lot of people like that today. They would come, they would follow, but they're scared of what their family would say. They They would change from a false religion to the one true religion, but they're scared of what their friends and family would say. We had a young lady in my church, and she was at our church for about, six, eight months, and and she was discipled, and she was following Jesus Christ, and she came from a a false religion, and um, she was about to get married, and uh, she left the church, forsake the Lord to go back to her old religion, because her parents told her that they wouldn't pay for her wedding if she was still a Christian. This is what the text is talking about here. They're trying to plow backwards matthew chapter 10 starting in verse 34 through 39 jesus makes it explicitly clear don't think that i've come to bring peace on earth i have not come to bring peace but a sword i have come to to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of their own household whoever loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me Whoever loves a son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen, the Lord may not take your personal comforts. The Lord may not ask for all of your possessions. The Lord may not be worried about all of the relationships in your life. He may not take any of that away, but the idea here is you have to be willing to let him. The idea here is if they stand in the way, you have to be willing to make them go away. Jesus may never ask you to give up comforts. Jesus may never ask you that there's a relationship in your life that's holding you back from the kingdom of God. He may never take that, never even ask for it. But the key is you must be willing. If you're thinking in your heart, I'll come, I'll I'll follow, but, but I gotta have my old life too. Listen, this isn't let's make a deal. Jesus sets the terms for the kingdom of God and willingness is the issue. These three guys walked away from Jesus Christ to make a comfortable place for themselves in the world. They didn't want to have problems in the world. Whether that be comfort problems, possession money problems, or relationship problems, that's why they were kept from from fans to followers. That's what held them back. They weren't willing to follow Jesus Christ. They let other things get in the way. Sure, they were interested They were even astounded. They were even amazed at the teachings and the words and even the people uh, uh, that were following Jesus. They wanted all those things. They they maybe even knew they needed forgiveness. They maybe even knew he was the son of God, but they weren't willing to give up their comfortable life. They were fans, but they weren't willing to do what it takes to be followers. Now you ask, what does that look like? What What does it look like to follow then? Like, like... Does the vagueness of following Jesus Christ, what does that look like? Well, there is one who gives us a perfect example. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, the man who bears the name on this gospel says this, and Jesus passed on from there, and he called a man, Matthew, saw a man, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew arose and followed him. Now, Matthew's a humble guy, so he doesn't give us many details, but right in those very few words, we have his conversion story. Luke says it better in Luke chapter 5, verse 28. It says, he got up and forsook everything. Luke says that when Matthew was called, he followed and left everything. Now, you got to understand this, Okay. Matthew was what they called the mocus of Capernaum. That's the the main tax collector in the city of Capernaum. He was wealthy beyond imagination. He was one of the wealthiest men in the city. He had the greatest, most monetary job in the city. He could tax literally whatever he wanted to tax. He had any ability to bribe or extort or make money as much as he wanted he could make he could tax anything he wanted he could tax the number of wheels on a carriage the number of axles he could tax the number of fish the number of people on a boat he had the authority and the backing from rome to get as much money as he ever wanted to get and the bible tells us when he was called he followed and gave up everything The text says he left it all to follow Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand this. There was no going back for Matthew, all right? This is important. The minute he left his position as the mocus, the tax collector of Capernaum, they replaced him that day. There's no leaving the the tax booth. Rome had someone else there. Rome replaced him, in that very highly sought after job immediately. The moment he got up, they had 100 people waiting in line for that job unlimited wealth and Matthew says I left left it all I, I followed Christ and when you look at the disciples Matthew gave up the most listen I'm not capping on anybody but do you know that fish are always going to be there right so so Peter James and John they, they were they were fishing and the whole Jesus thing didn't work out you know what they could go back to doing they could go back to fishing right? That they could go back to their lives that they were in, not saying that they ever would, but, but it wasn't as big. Matthew had nothing to go back to. When he left, it was, it was gone. He left never to come back again, and he never looked back. You know, this is one of the true marks of those who follow the Lord. When they follow, they follow with unquestioning obedience. What does Matthew say to Jesus when he's told to follow? He doesn't say anything, does he? Matthew says nothing. He just gets up and follows. Matthew doesn't say, oh, Jesus, can I finish collecting today's taxes? Well, can I just, can I just finish up today, get the money that, that maybe we have coming? Because, you know, I could fund this whole ministry. You know, with, with what I bring in, I could take care of all of us. I could, I could, I could do that. Can I just kind of keep my job and then when I get off at the end of the day, come and follow you? We could find a place for this in the ministry. Matthew doesn't say a word no questions, just obedience, he follows. Reminds me of John chapter 21, starting in verse 20, when the Lord says to Peter, Peter, follow me. And then Peter starts to follow, but, but then he turns around and, and sees somebody and says, hey, well, well what, about, what about him? And Jesus says, it's none of your business, you follow me. And, and, and Peter doesn't ask any more questions. You see, a, a true Christian lives a life of unquestioning obedience to Jesus Christ. And listen, I don't believe we despise that obedience either. I don't believe we despise the commands of the Lord. I don't believe we always are resisting obedience. I don't believe a true follower of Jesus Christ says, I can't believe I have to follow these commands. You know, Romans 1, the word obedience and conversion are synonymous. And then in Romans 6, he says that our obedience is our great joy. Why? Because a true Christian follows the Lord. Here's a second thing a true follower does. Look at verse 10 of chapter 9. And Jesus reclined at a table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Do you know what Matthew did after he was saved? He threw a party to introduce all of his old friends to his new master. Second thing a true follower of Jesus Christ does is feeds the lost. Matthew couldn't wait to introduce his old friends to the one who gave him forgiveness. And so he called all the sinners together and wanted to give them Jesus Christ. And these were people just like him. These were the worst of Capernaum. And they knew they were sinners. And that's actually a good thing, because that's the only kind of people who ever get saved. And Jesus said in verse 13, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Matthew brought all the sinners that he knew to Jesus. And he must have said, you guys have to experience what I've experienced. Oh, to know the joy of having your sins forgiven. Of experiencing the love of God. You you guys got to meet him. You, you, You guys need what I have. So you follow Jesus Christ. You don't just follow with unquestioning obedience. You have a love in your heart to feed the lost. Look at your life. Does the Holy Spirit of God dwell in you? If he does, you will have the same compassion that exists in his heart will exist in you. Sure, I'll be the first to admit it gets cluttered and it gets covered up every now and again by our own selfishness, but it has to be there. It has to be there. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ controls us. It says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ you feed the lost if you're a true Christian there has to be that compassion you know that's why Jesus condemned the Pharisees they had no compassion they had no mercy they had no love listen to what he says to them when he heard them grumbling he said those who are those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick go and learn what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice Jesus says by your own diagnosis these are the sickest people around. That's where I should be, by your own diagnosis. You see, the Pharisees were like doctors who could diagnose the disease, but had no care at all for the cure. They were doctors who said, yeah, they're sick, and I know what their problem is, but I'm not going in there. I might get sick as well. And so Jesus says to them, you've got sacrifices. You just don't have the mercy. A true Christian follows the Lord. He feeds the sheep, and here's one more, and I'll be I'll be quick. He forsakes legalism. He forsakes legalism. We see in the remaining part of the text in this passage of of chapter verses 14 through 17, the people of the religion of the day came to Jesus. They were stuck in their religion, stuck in their legalism, stuck in their traditions, stuck in doing things. They didn't even know why they did them. They were stuck in fasting, praying, giving, but they didn't know why. There was no heart in it. The religion of the day. And Jesus says to them, there's no trying to sew a new patch on an old robe. There's no trying to fill an old wineskin with new wine. You know what Jesus was saying? There's no connection with your religion and what I'm teaching. There's no connection with your rituals and your traditions and your legalism with the kingdom of God. The legalistic system can't connect with the kingdom of God. It can't contain the kingdom of God. Jesus knows you you don't begin in the spirit and then be perfected by the law. Some routine, some ritual. Jesus knows you don't get entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Religious rituals, routines, they don't connect. They don't work with Jesus Christ. You got to hear this this morning. Anything that we do as a Christian comes from the heart that is in relationship with the living God. Jesus is saying, if we sing, if we pray, if we give, if we fast, that comes out of a relationship with the living God, not some kind of ritual, not some kind of religious exercise. That's what Jesus is saying here. A true Christian does not follow routines or ceremonies or religious exercise. This is coming from the heart. That's the difference and so I'm going to land this plane right now and bring this to where you are this morning. Because I don't, I don't know you very well. Matter of fact, most of you I don't know at all, but, but I know the Holy, the Holy Ghost does. I know he knows where you're at this morning, and he knows where I'm at this morning. He knows if you have turned from Jesus Christ. He knows if you have refused or rejected the true gospel and saving message of Jesus Christ because you just love your life the way it is right now too much. You love the relationship you're in. You love the comfort you have. You love what you got going on so much that you've completely forsaken Jesus Christ. Or maybe this morning you're, you're interested, you're astounded, you're amazed. You love the way this thing sounds, but there's something holding you back from actually following. Maybe it's a comfortable life and you're worried or, wonderful or wondered if that's going to be. Maybe it's possessions are in the way. Maybe it's some kind of family member and you're thinking, what would they say? What would they do? So you haven't gone all in. You haven't completely began to follow. This is a huge problem in the church today. We have so many people lingering around we have so many people that are around the gospel so many people that are around Jesus but they're just interested they haven't taken the next step and they've always been there and they'll always be there until he returns but they just haven't taken the final step and then there's some of you in here right now who are truly following Jesus Christ where you would follow him with unquestionable obedience, where you have a great love to feed the lost, where you have forsaken all legalism and religious ritual in your life and anything you do for Christ comes straight out of your heart. But I would ask that before I pray, you would pray as I pray because you know you better than I know you. And the Holy Spirit of God knows you better than even you know you. And so your prayer should sound something like this in your head. Lord, I, I, I don't know where I'm at this morning. Maybe you do know where we're at, but it should be God. Check me. Test my heart. Is there something standing in the way from me truly following you? Am I truly willing to give up anything for you, Jesus? Am I mad? Am I upset right now because I'm so happy with my life that I just, I, I can't accept it. I can't, I can't follow. Is there something that you're not willing to give up for Jesus Christ? maybe this morning you're stuck in some kind of religious exercise well why do you go to church? well because we've always gone to church why do you fast? I don't know, you just fast because that's what we do Jesus says this this doesn't even make any sense we we do what we do out of a relationship with the living God like do you know the difference between bearing your heart to God and praying for a routine? do you know the difference between going to church and, and truly worshiping the living God? I hope you do But I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to all of us where we are. Father God, your spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin. But not just that, he also encourages and comforts us. And I pray you do both this morning. Lord, there is not a sinner who could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that cannot be brought to salvation. We see that in the message of Matthew and and of Paul himself, the chief of sinners. But God, this morning, I'm worried that there are so many people that are lingering. They're hanging out. They like the message. They like the music. They like the belonging. But they're just fans right now. They haven't taken the step to follow. And Lord, I would pray right now that you would do a work. And the work would be so strong and so convicting that they can't help but do business with their hearts right now. Lord, we know your word says a true Christian follows unquestionably feeds the lost and forsakes legalism let that be us let that be us let us go from fans to followers or from furious to followers whatever it is god let us be in the kingdom on your terms and not our own don't let anything get in the way in jesus mighty name we pray amen